Welcome back, everyone, for episode two of I Was Hornswoggled, a podcast journal about waking up from a narcissist-induced nightmare. It is January 23rd, 2020, and I am your host, Raina. And so welcome to the show. If you're wondering what hornswoggle means, it means to trick or deceive. And oh, let me tell you, I have definitely been hornswoggled and by someone that was so close to me for at least the past 20 years of my life. And that is my mom. I have decided to share my experience to offer support to others who are going through the same thing my family is. The content that I share, I have found surrounding narcissistic abuse by professionals and fellow survivors has brought me so much comfort in knowing we are not alone. There is actually a lot of us. This podcast is meant to share my experience, information I have found helpful, and the sources so you can check it out on your own when you have some free time and to share my feelings as I unpack this huge blow, as well as share content that has helped me find answers. So we're going to get into continuing to unpack. continuing to unpack this this event that has occurred in our life we have come to the conclusion that my mom is a narcissist and most likely a covert narcissist and keep in mind like I said I am not a professional I am just a freshly awoke person this is not in any way anything solidifying the fact that a person is whatever they're diagnosed because you know, this is just going off from our personal experiences and checking the boxes. So I was listening to a very helpful video interview with Dr. Ramani, and one of the things that she said really brought me peace in knowing that we do not need a label to legitimize our experience. Just because our abuser does not have a diagnosis to our knowledge uh, does not minimize the fact that what they did to us and how they treated us or continue to treat us isn't any less serious. The abuse that we have all been through exists with or without our abuser having a diagnosis. And that meant a lot to me because I think it's so easily brushed under the rug or um, people don't really take you seriously when you say I've been, you know, abused by my parent or when you when you hear people say that they've been abused and like, well, what happened? Well, when you're dealing with a narcissist, um, especially a covert narcissist, a lot of the stuff is done over a long period of time. So it's not like somebody just walked up to you and just punched you in your face and you have like a bruise to show. You have decades worth of mental abuse chipping away at your being, chipping away at your sanity, at your soul, at your heart, at your identity, at your person. And that is something that's not so easily seen. A lot of um, mental um, illnesses suffer the same stigma that if you can't see it, it's not really, it's not really hurting someone. And that's not true. That's not true at all. So what they have done to us is not okay. 
It does not define us and it should not continue, but it does not need a diagnosis or a fancy title to make it real because it is real. What is happening to you is real without that diagnosis. So I did put the link um, to the video that I found helpful um, with uh, Dr. Romani in the show notes. So you can find those at reinaswiftsage.com and it'll take you right to the show notes. Now, when I started digging around and trying to learn as much as I can about narcissism, so it never really crossed my path. Like I said in episode one, nothing really much more than like the weird stuck up character in a movie. You know, somebody that just, you were like, oh, that person's a narcissist. It's just like a term that often gets thrown around when somebody acts stuck up. But that's not really what that is. Somebody can be stuck up and not be a narcissist. So narcissism, from what I understand, keep in mind, this is just from my own research and digging. Um, and, I'll, and honestly, I have seen so many different definitions, just depending on just like everything in the world, everybody has an opinion, a theory, a thought, their own experiences, their own built up and stuff. So um, I have found on verywellmind.com, um, the diagnostic and statistical manual, which they would call it the DSM. So the first part in knowing how narcissists are diagnosed is that by professionals, that's how they're diagnosed and they use the diagnostic and statistical manual mental disorders it is used by clinicians and psychiatrists to diagnose psychiatric illnesses the dsm is utilized widely in the united states for psychiatric diagnosis treatment recommendations and insurance coverage purposes in 2013 the latest version known as dsm-5 was released the DSM is published by the American Psychiatrist. Apparently, I can't talk. The DSM is published by the American Psychiatric Association and covers all categories of mental health disorders for both adults and children. And according to an article in VeryWellMind.com by Kendra Cherry, and it was medically reviewed by Stephen Gans, MD, in 1980, narcissistic personality disorder was officially recognized in the third edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder and criteria were established for its diagnosis. So it has been um, actually recognized officially since 1980. And according to the Mayo Clinic, now all the links are, like I said, in the show notes, according to the Mayo Clinic, um, treatment for narcissistic personality disorder centers around talk therapy, which is also known as psychotherapy. So narcissism is what you ask and it's 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 a big it's a big topic. So from what I've learned so far about about narcissism is that some see it as being on a spectrum. I've seen a lot of talk and I've heard a lot of um, references uh, that it is on a spectrum and they say kind of like autism where um, it's just you we're no longer just umbrella like using one big umbrella topic to just um, cover a whole group of individuals because I've also heard many um, say that we all land on that spectrum at some point so nobody's untouched so um, so from what I've learned 
is that it's on the spectrum and in an article on psychology today by darlene lancert um, that narcissism the narcissism spectrum model that the iowa state psychologists developed incorporates as its central core the dimension from low to high self-importance or entitlement so there's different names also that i've come across to describe the different types of narcissists there is the overt narcissist that's the loud mouth self-centered abrasive leans more towards physical overt like it's overt it's like pop you know they're just aggressive and you can kind of see them and go yeah no no thank you i'm gonna go i'm gonna walk on the other side of the road i'm not gonna be i don't want to be around that person you know you just know you know those people and the overt narcissists i've also heard them referred to as grandiose narcissists and extrovert narcissists and then the, and i'm sure there's other names too but those are the three main ones that i've seen them be referenced to and then there's the covert narcissist which i've also been warned um well, not me personally but um in a lot of um people and content creators saying you know covert narcissist is not called covert because they're sneaky it's like because what they're being done is not so in your face it's not like they're like hee hee which a lot of it does feel like they're like that but i've heard differing opinions some people lean in that direction like they're covert because you know they it's it's just a thing like i've i've still not heard a solid explanation on on um one person agreeing on this because everybody it's a spectrum right that's the whole point it's a spectrum <laughs> so i have found them also to be called the introvert narcissist hypersensitive narcissist and the vulnerable narcissist so they're all you know different names for the same thing so i just go i just usually reference overt and covert because it's easier that way so the higher the individual's self-entitlement and grandiosity is the more and more separation occurs between grandiosity which is the overt and vulnerability which is the covert so those who are most self-entitled are either almost always all the way into the grandiose spectrum and then they're either almost all the way into the vulnerable which is the covert spectrum which honestly honestly explained a lot to me because some characteristics that I would hear described and actions I heard from other narcissist survivors really did not resonate with me because based on my personal experience regarding my mom and her behavior you know she it didn't always hit all of the um behavioral markers so to be honest my experience with her actually varies from my sister's experience from her too that's another thing i've noticed so like if you were to ask me how i thought my mom um ranked on a spectrum it would definitely vary how my sister's experience with her <laughs> happened on the spectrum because it's like our mother was cut 50 50 down the middle where she was more covert with me but she was more overt with her so it's very weird it's just we're still figuring that out so um but i have seen all over the internet the same nine elements of narcissism that it's like the first thing you find when you google it is like the nine the nine checkpoints of narcissism you know a nice little packaged box right here so here's the nine a sense of self-importance or grandiosity this is just the basic narcissism 
Fantasy is about being influential, famous, and or important. Exaggerating their abilities, talents, and accomplishments. Craving admiration and acknowledgement. Preoccupied with beauty, love, power, and or success. An exaggerated sense of being unique. Believing that the world owes them something. Exploiting others to get what they want, no matter how it impacts others. And lacking empathy towards others. And now that we've covered the nine elements of a narcissist, I'm going to share seven signs of a covert introvert narcissist that I actually found on Psychology Today by Preston Nee. And I will put the link in the show notes for the more extended detailed list. But here's the basic seven signs. Quiet smugness and superiority self-absorption, lack of empathy, passive aggressiveness, highly sensitive. They have the misunderstood special person thing down and in personal and difficult relationships. And some descriptions I have heard during my internet travels, digging up as much as I can about covert narcissism, is that it's often called death by a thousand cuts due to the fact that the attacks may appear to be minor if looked at singularly, but once you add them all up, the result is the same as if you were full-on stabbed with one fatal stab. And it's also been said many, many times across many, many avenues that it is insidious and it is even more insidious than an overt because most of the damage is done passive aggressively and behind your back so well that you have no idea the damage is being done and then when you finally find out poof it's too late you know they've already went behind your back (laughs) they've already ran their um, spam, their little smear campaigns. They've already strategically went behind your back and talked bad about you to everyone. Or I've heard in some cases they actually talk good. So then when they they come home and they treat you horribly, and then when you decide to leave and you go run into the arms of your loved one, they're like, what do you mean? They're always complimenting you and talking so nice about you. So then it looks like your story doesn't even line up. So it's like this weird, creepy prison that they lock you in. So it can go either way. Or they can happen in like what what I'm experiencing right now is the smear campaign is is my mom literally going behind my back and um, just, you know, giving a good old one-two, just telling her whatever story it is that day, um, you know, that that's what that is. And the blessing that I have is the fact that my sister and I are on the same page now and we can keep each other informed. And she's caught her already in so many lies that it just further solidifies the fact that this is just going to be like we just have to lower our expectations of our mom and to increase our happiness because we just have to make peace with knowing that the truth needs no defense to be true and um, take peace in that so um, and my journey so far I'm going to touch a little bit on my journey so far
just going to touch base on my journey so far, kind of things that have helped me out, resources, and, and um, all my personal experience were where I'm at right now. So a, a very eye-opening interview I listened to this week is with Tracy Malone, who was interviewing Debbie Mirza, who is the author of the book I plan to buy next called The Covert Passive Aggressive Narcissist. It is available on Amazon. I put the link to the um, interview and to the book um, that's on Amazon in the show notes. And in the interview, she said, well, one thing that Debbie, Debbie said was that a pattern she noticed with her clients is that most of the people coming from a family with a covert narcissist is that the majority of them are in their 30s when they find out that they have been a victim of their covert narcissist parent. And the other common thing is that they would commonly view the covert narcissist parent as their best friend. And it's crazy because, you know, last week when I put out episode one, those were the two things that right there, I hadn't even listened to this interview yet. So you could imagine my jaw just hanging open when I heard this because it hit both of my nails. Bam, bam. The last, the last couple weeks of me being in my thirties, I find out that just the lid of my life just gets ripped open. You know, your mother's been doing all this crazy stuff behind your back and you didn't even know. And you also thought she was your best friend. And I, and I even said that on the last episode, I always looked at her as being my best friend. And so it's so hard mourning like the death of the parent you thought you had. So I feel like that's where I'm at right now. I'm like at a mourning stage. And I only know that because my dad did die. So I know what it feels like to mourn the death of your parent. Now I'm just mourning the death of a living parent. Wrap your mind around that. You know, we're humans. We're messy. So yeah. So yeah, I, my, my jaw dropped and I was like, yeah, I got to read this lady's book because she hit two nails bam bam you know and that's i found this information that she shared to be so eye-opening too because that is a huge pattern in my opinion and i'm a pattern seer so i take like i was so impressed i'm like yes another pattern seer because that's huge to have so many people share those common denominators with uh, narcissistic abuse and how the um, abused, how the victims can look back and share those common denominators is just astounding to me. So it's also, you know, solidifies the fact that the abuser may change, but their behavior is very much the same. And the effect that it has on those they are abusing also shares a lot of similarities and it's sad it's interesting to me though you know it's interesting that i'm not the only one and it's also comforting to know that there are more people out there that feel the same way and are going through that so i also think the hardest part about finding out that my mom has been abusing us on the down low in this covert narcissistic way is that she had been silently just trying and succeeding and sabotaging every single relationship I have ever had for the past 20 years. And now that my sister and I are speaking, we have a better understanding of how she has really been pulling this off for so long. She just divided us down the middle and she showed each one of us a different piece of the 
puzzle and she, she never let those pieces connect. Never did. So she has definitely been a master at the triangulation game. I never made the connection on my own because I only saw things from my side of the world. And once she added my, once my sister added her side of the world, it just, our mind, our minds were blown. It seems so easier. It's, it's just way easier to expect this behavior from like a significant other or a friend or a coworker, but just trying to wrap your mind around why a parent would want to do this to their own child is a mind scrabble all on its own. One we feel very blessed to be able to experience together. So we are not alone. I, my heart really goes out to those who are dealing with this all alone. It's gotta be very isolating and, and, ridiculous. So that's another reason why I think it's very important for you to share your stories in life is so that those that are experiencing similar stories alone don't feel so alone. So you're not alone. In a blog post titled Triangulation, The Narcissist's Best Play, I found on psychcentral.com by Darius Sikinavicious. I'm just, you know, he's in, he's in my show notes because I know I just messed that name up. He says, within the vast catalog of toxic behavior, triangulation is amongst the most well-known. It is very common, especially among narcissistically inclined individuals, and can be overt or insidious, and many people don't even realize they have been triangulated until it is too late. Oh boy, ain't that the truth. I have come to think of the covert narc as a parasite, like a tick how I just picture it in my head when I'm trying to explain it. And, you know, they need the target, or in my words, the host, to exist, to feed on. So, you know, they do a lot of their abuse in small doses. And if they operated like an overt narcissist, then the odds are that they would be allowed to feed on their target for a long period of time is actually pretty slim, in my opinion. People tend to avoid starting relationships and you know, or opening up to an outwardly aggressive person. So it makes sense that a covert narcissist, you know, gets to ride the wave for a longer period of time. My parents were actually married for 35 years until my dad passed away. Coverts fly under the radar so they can get away with most of all their shenanigans on, on the down low and out of reach of their, their victims. We don't even know what's going on. So the triangulation my mom performed on my sister and I actually started showing signs, started showing up with signs of independence. You know, I just think of it definitely like a pyramid, like a triangle, like she's up at the top of the triangle and then they plant this little seed of deceit down in the left-hand corner and then they plant this other little seed down in the right-hand corner. They just like sit back like that Michael Jackson meme where he's like in the movie theater just eating popcorn with this grin on his face. That's what I, I picture in my head when I think of a covert narcissist. They're just up at the top, planting their little seeds of dookie and just sit back and toss an old popcorn in their mouth like, <laughs> watching the wheels turn, watching the little fights they set up. It's actually rather disgusting, but that's how I picture it in my head. That's probably just helps me process it. So the triangulation, like I said, with my mom, um, that she she started doing very down on the down low on my sister and I started when we started showing signs of independence, when we started, you know, um, getting boyfriends and jobs and started pulling away from her preciousness. 
And I'm just going to start with this episode just by sharing two small stories. First, as I try to organize each episode to make sure it makes sense the best I can for the listener. So knowing what we know now, we find ourselves going back in time, and I'm sure you might be able to relate, and looking at each family fight or drama with a whole new pair of narc glasses on, and boom, we see the common denominator was always our mom. We had no idea until we put those puppies on, until we put those narc glasses on, now we see it all. We see it clearly. So one time, when I was 17, 18 years old, my boyfriend at the time broke it off with me one day out of the blue. I didn't even see it coming. I remember experiencing what I called, we even way back then, my first soul cry. Now I'm a chick, so you, you know, if you're a guy and you're listening, you might not be able to identify with this, or you might, I don't know. Um, but I'm just saying, I, I, as a female, I, I cried so hard because that was my first real breakup like that was like my first serious relationship and the type of cry that seems to like start from the pit of your being and it doesn't stop until you were so empty of tears that you just stare like you have no emotions left in your body it's like a soul cry you just drained every piece of your being out of you with your tears and I didn't get a lick of empathy from my mom. Now back then I probably was already accustomed to just getting like breadcrumbs. So like it doesn't stand out. Uh, But now in hindsight, I'm like, wow, that was pretty, that was pretty not, that wasn't very nice, (laughs) not at all. I didn't get any empathy from my mom. In fact, she came to me and told me she knew he was no good for me. So she told him that, that he would never be good for me and that I would only be good for him. And that's why he left. So she busted herself out. She was the one that put the little seed in his in his mind. And knowing what I know now, I doubt that's actually all she said to him. I bet she's been saying stuff the entire time and and playing both sides. I bet she was just whispering a bunch of cockamimi in his ear and then running over to me. And I know she was talking bad about him in my ear until, you know, the relationship just, relationship just poof doesn't exist anymore and that was my first real experience that I had to go back in time and think oh when is this chick when do I really start to see the triangulation the little pitting each other and playing both sides and to bring us all the way back in to the weird creepy little bosom of the covert narcissist mom so knowing what I know now I doubt like I said that's all she did and even at that age I wasn't one to run after someone, so I never even asked him why he left. I just moved on. You know, I was like, you know, I'm 17, 18 years old. I was a stupid. I'm like, plenty of fish in the sea. I'm moving on. But at that time, I actually was truly heartbroken because he was my first real serious relationship. And my mom didn't offer any empathy. But you know what she did do? She did take the opportunity to tell me all about her own heartbreak. Oh, poor her. She began telling me all about her first love and how he abandoned her too at my age. And she would continue to tell us this story or anyone who experienced a breakup, the same sob story for the rest of our life. I lost track of how many times I heard this story. There would never be any empathy from her. You would just get the same regurgitated, repetitive, me, 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 my, 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 my sad story over and over and over again. 
And now we know why. We always wondered why we always had to hear about all of her stories, like a painful broken record, while never actually being able to talk about what was happening with us. And it is because it's always about the narcissist. It's never about you. And the story that I remember her doing to my sister, this is an interesting one. (laughs) This is just in the beginning. A story my sister reminded me of that happened to her when I went on a celebratory cruise upon graduating cosmetology school. Our mom figured I would be quitting my job at the store I was working at to go do hair somewhere. So she approached my sister and told her that they should try to get hired while I was gone. Since, you know, I would be leaving and all. When I returned, guess what? Both my sister and my mom were now working at my place of employment. And I was not a fan. Because, you know, I was like, is nothing my own? Do I, do I never get to have freedom? Do I always have to be under the watchful eye of the COVID mother? Yes, apparently. Apparently, yes. That's why. You know, that's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> anyway, so when I returned, you know, there's my mom. There's my sister. No offense to my sister. You know, we loved each other back at, at that time, you know. So, I mean, but really, behind your back, you're just swooping on in like, hey, when you come back. I mean, really? That's just weird. So, she would... It, it, it's so bizarre because it, now that I look back, that's how she would do my sister all the time. She would point her in whatever desired direction she wanted and just say, go do this. As if my sister was never allowed to have a mind of her own, which now we know is actually true. Neither of us were ever supposed to have minds of her own. So as time passed, I went to work at a salon and left the store. My mom quit the store for after a few months, like she always did, you know, she had many part-time jobs, but she never worked at any length of time. My sister stayed working there for about five years while working at another job and thinking about starting college. When my mom caught wind that she might be looking for another job, she called up the store owner and told them that her daughter was going to quit and that she would like to take her place. My sister didn't even have a chance to check around for another job. She was replaced by our mom. Ba-bam! Mommy's back? If that wasn't a glimpse of what was to come, I don't honestly know what would be. So as you can see, the tricky thing about covert narcissist parents is, you know, if I were to just sit down and tell you these two stories, you'd be like, yeah, that was really kind of crappy or yeah, that's bad, you know, but is it really abuse? Well, honey, over a period of 20 years when you're, when every step you take, you are cut off by the same person, yes, that is abuse. And the words that come out of their mouth, the condescending tones, the ways that they they lie, I think that's another um, topic, obviously, for another episode, is the amount of lies that we've had to deal with that, that are still happening as of today, you know, as of today. Um, so it over a period of time, yes, covert narcissism from a person who has experienced it is definitely a death by a thousand cuts. So I'm going to be wrapping up this episode. So we are going to be moving into the closing time. So in closing, I hope each episode I record helps someone else 
who may be going through a similar situation or know someone who has, because God knows I have been helped so immensely by listening to others' experiences and to know that this is actually a larger epidemic than I was even aware of. It can be discouraging to many because they feel guilty for airing the dirty deeds done by others that are being done to them, but we should never feel shamed into silence. There's a quote by Ayanla Van Zant that goes, it's important that we share our experiences with other people. Your story will heal you and your story will heal somebody else. When you tell your story, you free yourself and give other people permission to acknowledge their own story. So if you have a story of your own that you would like to share, you can email the show at Iwashornswoggled at gmail.com. You can follow the show and DM me on Twitter at hornswogglepod, or you can head to reinaswiftsage.com and you will find the podcast website page there. And there's actually a voice message option there. So until next time, have a great day. And don't be shy. You can send in anything that has helped you get through your experiences. Or if you're a content creator and you would like to um, showcase some of your knowledge and your work, just let me know. And because the more we can help each other, the better off we are. So until next time, have a great day and God bless.